This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Phone call, phone call, phone call, phone call. Finally, we arrive at his Frank Lloyd Wright house and Reggie, you and I shuffle into the living room. Joel heads into the bedroom, not very far away from where the living room is. We, we can hear Joel and his girlfriend, Lisa, having a conversation as if they're in the very next room. And I I don't remember what Joel said. It it pissed her off. It made her super angry because Lisa was very petite, very pretty young woman, but tiny. I mean, just compared to Joel, she, she was three of her could fit inside Joel, four maybe. And in the next room, this 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 little woman this is ripping Joel Silver several new assholes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. I'm Alan Katz. That was quite a teaser, wasn't it? Wait till you hear the rest of the story. But before we get to that, I want to remind you to please, if you in fact like what we're doing here, be bold. Whatever the platform you're using, if there's a way to like us, please do so. It shows the algorithm who's boss. And even better, really, please subscribe. That way, you'll know about everything that we're working on right now. And there's some very cool stuff coming. In fact, we're going to talk about some of that cool stuff in this very episode. On the one hand, this is a kind of beast of 2023, as the Crypt Keeper would put it. On the other, it's a setup and a prelude to 2024. Earlier this season, we sat in with Roger Nygaard, who first saw that Trekkies were no mere TV fans. They were, in fact, the vanguard of the whole fan convention culture. And I don't need to tell you how Jibungo that became and is. We'll revisit our first meeting with Chelsea Rebecca and James Janice from Dead Meat. When Chelsea did a fundraiser with us for the Emotion Picture Home, Gil and I became immediate fans of both Chelsea and James. So after we chat with Chelsea, we'll tell you about Are You Afraid, the new horror series that Gil and I created. It's about flesh-eating ghouls, and it asks the question, in a world as fucked up as ours, is it really so bad to want to be the monster? Think Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Walking Dead meets Sweeney Todd without the music, all with a wicked fun Tales from the Crypt sensibility. Chelsea and James are in the cast. They're also executive producers. We believe Are You Afraid is going to be the next Walking Dead, except bigger, scarier, way funnier, too. But first, Let's kick off this episode of the podcast by retelling you the story that we teased you with, The Car Ride from Hell. How Gil and I spent six hours in a car with Joel Silver traveling less than six miles. For what it's worth, Donald Trump makes a guest appearance. It's been a great season filled with all kinds of surprises. We hope you agree and continue the adventure going forward with us. We promise to try and make it worth your while. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Joel Silver, Gil and I were summoned to Warner Brothers for a preseason meeting about Tales from the Crypt in the office of our boss, the larger-than-life movie producer, Joel Silver. One of the things about working for Joel Silver was you had to have a lot of meetings, and of course all the meetings were always at Joel's. And so that meant going over to the to Joel's 
very nice office at the on the, the Warner Brothers lot and waiting. And we spent hours. Well, you spent far more hours than I did cooling your heels at, at, at Joel's office. We talked about in, in, in the first season, I think in episode one, about the meeting we had at Barry Josephson's office where he kept us waiting for a literal hour. And we had said, if it, we're going to give it an hour. If it's an hour and one minute, we're leaving. And you're right. Most of my youth before my bar mitzvah was spent waiting for Joel. <laughs> Remarkable how that happened. Yeah. You, you were so young before that and, and so aged afterwards. Absolutely. Uh, so going into our second season, I, I think this is when this particular story takes place. Now, every season, we, we rented a different warehouse space. And in the first season, we were at the A1 Globe Pasta Factory in uh, West LA, mm -hmm. Venice Boulevard, near La Cienega. Robertson, Robertson and Venice, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, what season, second season, were we in Santa Monica? That, yeah, I think we were in the space in Santa Monica. I think the second season was Santa Monica, and then we went out to the valley. And then we were out in the valley, two different spaces. The, and the, the, reason, the reason we had to do that was I kept asking the partners, Joel, Bob, Dick, and Walter, to buy a warehouse so oh, we could right. just make it our own facility. And they kept saying, well, we're not buying a warehouse. Ask HBO. And so I would go to HBO and ask them to buy a warehouse. And they would go, ah, ask Joel to do it. He's got all the money in the world. So they never bought a warehouse. And they would never give us the pickup until it was too late for us to keep this facility that we had. So every year, we gave up the facility. And then four or five or six months later, we get the pickup. And we have to look for a new facility. Behind us was uh, um, Spelling, Aaron Spelling. Oh, Aaron, oh, Aaron okay. Aaron Spelling was always behind us, picking up the warehouses as soon as we left. And so I would go, I can't believe it. Another one going to Aaron, another one. And we would take about ten dollars or $15,000 and take a warehouse, put up petitions, do whatever we had to do to make it our own. So that was the, that was just getting the warehouse ready. Right. So <clears throat> there was always a lot to talk about with Joel, especially and going into the season, there were uh, so many decisions that had to be made. And Joel was very, very hands-on and insisted that, that he have, you know, final say in an awful lot of, of critical decisions. And so, you know, he didn't want to have those conversations over the phone. Sometimes he wanted to, you know, it, it was part of calling people to him to sit in in his space because you come to the king the king does not go to you the king doesn't shout the king he shouts at you in his office is how the king works so i i don't remember what it was that we had to discuss on that particular afternoon i think it was around about one o'clock in the afternoon maybe 1 30 and you and i went to i think it was two o'clock let, let's be Good. And say it was two o'clock, uh, a post-lunch meeting, quick, just to talk about a whole bunch of stuff that you had to talk about with Joel. Right. So we arrive promptly because you are very good about arriving promptly, even when you suspect it's pointless. And we proceed to sit. And we're waiting and waiting. And, and this is this is in the day where we didn't really have cell phones per se. I mean, people had cell, we had, I think we had, did we, I, I don't even remember this was so long ago. No, I, we, cell phones were, if what we had, they were, they were phones, nothing but phones 
And that's all they were good for. And mm. they were big and heavy. And, and so it's not like you could use this time sitting in Joel's waiting room, working on your phone. It was utterly dead time. And finally, he, he opens the door. We come in. He closes the door. He gets up and he says, come on, go, come with me. Now, now b- b- before we get there now, this is hours have gone by. Hours. And uh, it's really, we got through two, it's like three o'clock passes, four o'clock passes, five o'clock passes. Now, occasionally, just so we, we understand the, the rising feeling, okay, come, come on already. You had gone to his, uh, his assistant several times and said, look, we, we, we only, we, this is stupid. We, we can't, you know, I just need, we just need five minutes. And he would go in and come back out and nothing would happen. And occasionally, I think you tried to push your way in. And I think at one point, Joel just you know, waved you away. You're like, yeah, give, give me five, give me five. And of course, the five turned into another hour. So now suddenly the door opens, come in. And we walk in as Joel is, in essence, walking out. Because Joel has just lost a crown. And he says, come on, come on. I'm going to the dentist. Come with me. I, and I look at him and I go, I don't want to go to the dentist. He said, we'll, we'll have, but he said, we'll have the meeting in the car. We'll have the meeting in the car. We'll, we'll talk about everything in the car. Great. Okay, fine. So th- the only reason that we got into the car, that we allowed ourselves to be kidnapped, was that, was that you know, Joel had basically said we could take care of our business on the drive to see his Beverly Hills dentist. Now, the minute that we got into the car, of course, Joel got on to his, his car phone. It wasn't a cell phone, it was a car phone. And suddenly it's one call after another, after another, after another. And there's not an opportunity for, for you to get a word in edgewise. And one of the calls, uh, of course, we can hear these calls. He puts everyone on speakerphone because Joel always wants it to be you know, theater. And so one of the calls, I, 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 I forget who called who, it's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. And I forget what business Joel had with Donald. They were talking about something or other. And then Joel acknowledges our presence there in the car with him. He says, you'll never guess who I'm sitting here with. Don, you'll never guess who I'm sitting there. The producers of Tales from the Crypt. And Don goes, really? Tales from the Crypt, I love that show. And Joel says, you should be in an episode. And Don says, that's a great idea. Send me a script. And he hangs up and they drive and the drive continues and another phone call and another phone call. Finally, we arrive in Beverly Hills in front of his dentist. It is now, uh, God, we, we got to his place at, at uh, what do we say, two o'clock maybe. And now it's about six, 6.30. And we've driven through traffic to get to the dentist. And come on, come on, come on. And as we exit the car with Joel, uh, and it's being driven by his driver, was it Reggie? Reggie is the driver. Yeah. Yeah, so right. Reggie's driving. It's one of he had a he had a a fleet of SUVs. Did Joel? It's not a car. It's an SUV. And so he said it's a big ass SUV. He's sitting up front. We're sitting in the back. We might as well have been sitting in, in the way back. It's one. It's a giant SUV. And so we jump out and we follow him in. And and uh, you begin to 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 tell him some of the business we got to talk to. We into the into the lobby into the little teeny elevator. And the three of us going up the little elevator up to the I think the third or fourth floor. And we follow him down to the hallway. You're trying to squeeze in everything you possibly can as quickly as you possibly can. We go into the dentist. We meet his dentist. The store house, after don't you know? kind of a thing. And into the, into the treatment room goes Joel. 
I really wanted to follow him and, and ask the dentist if I could give him the Novocaine. Truly. And then we sat there in the waiting room of that of the dentist's office for an hour. It, it took the better part of an hour for the whole thing to happen. And of course, you are losing your mind. You're this is this is the whole day is gone and, and nothing is happening. And, and it's dark out. Oh, yes, 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 whole yes, day. It, it was light when this meeting started. Yeah. And, and now so, he comes out and now he comes out and he can't speak. Because that another can you But the dentist has something to say because the dentist pitches us an idea for an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Right. I've got an idea for a scary dentist. <laughs> and we say, great, you know, uh, have have your people call our people in the morning. We'll set something up. Nothing ever comes of it. Right. Back into the car. He's on his phone calling his girlfriend at the time, I think was Lisa. I think it was, I think it was Lisa. They had something that they were attending together that evening and, you know, they were trying to arrange the getting her to, to, to where it had to be and getting him to where it had to be. He said, look, we'll, we'll stop in. It's on the way. We'll stop and pick you up on the way back from Beverly Hills to, to Warner Brothers. And so instead of going directly back to, to the studio to, to get on with our lives, maybe even have the meeting, no, we're going to stop at his house in the West Hollywood Hills, his Frank Lloyd Wright house, to pick up his his girlfriend to take her to this, you know, so that she can get to this event with him. Phone call, phone call, phone call, phone call. Finally, we arrive at, at, at his Frank Lloyd Wright house. And Reggie, you and I shuffle into the living room. Joel heads into the bedroom, not very far away from where the living room is. We, we can hear Joel and his girlfriend, Lisa, having a conversation as if they're in the very next room. And I, I don't remember what Joel said, but the next, it, 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 it pissed her off. It made her super angry because Lisa was very petite, very pretty young woman, but tiny. I mean, just compared to Joel, she, she was three of her could fit inside Joel, four maybe. And in the next room, this, this, this little woman this, is ripping Joel Silver several new assholes. And Joel is absolutely befuddled. And they're in the living room, Gil, Reggie, and I, are stunned by what we're hearing and the urge to laugh is incredible. It is the funniest thing we've ever heard. And it gets louder and louder and we're desperate not to laugh. Because if we laugh, Joel will hear us. And that can't happen. But it goes on and on. Finally, it stops. And Joel emerges into the dining room. She'll meet us later, he says. Come on. We follow him out. Silence. All urge to laugh. Go, 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 go. Follow him out. We get in. He drives back to the studio. Total silence. No phone, no nothing. Joel goes his way, and we go our way. And I think maybe you got about three sentences of what you had to tell Joel that day. Told. By that point, it's, uh, I think it was 8 o'clock at night. And I think we made, a, we made an executive decision that, you know, something. we don't need to ask him any of these questions. We'll just do it. And, and, we, did it. and we did it. And then we learned, we learned an important lesson.
That's what we did for the most part thereafter. We just did it. And if there were problems, then we would hear about them. Now, there's a coda to this story. And you just told me this, and I'm I'm shocked because I know nothing about this. Well, Uh, years years later, I I would say, you know, 2014, 15, 16, somewhere in there, um, I, after after Valkyrie... Gil produced Valkyrie for Warner Brothers. Got very involved with veterans and raised a lot of money for veterans. In fact, I left the business for five years and did nothing but raise money for for veterans. And so... um, through an ad agency in New York who knew what I was doing, they introduced me to Mariana Duncan, the Yankees pitcher. And Mariano and I became quite friendly because he was very involved with trying to raise money for domestic abuse and for children. He's a very religious guy, lives in New Rochelle. And we became somewhat friendly. We would talk every once in a while. <laughs> and I get a call from the ad agency one day in New York, I'm in LA. And they said, well, listen, there's going to be a benefit for Mariano. And he's asked me to invite you. He wants you there. And I go, well, tell him thank you very much. But, you know, I'm in L.A. And, you know, I don't I don't really see myself fly. No, no, no. They'll pay for everything. They want you there and your wife. So we go, oh, OK. So we fly to New York and we're staying at the very fancy hotel. And finally, they go, OK, the event is going to be tonight or tomorrow night. And the car will pick you up and, uh, you know, it'll take an hour to get to the event. I go, where is the event? It's at the Donald J. Trump golf course in Westchester. And I'm like, really? They couldn't find another place? So there's nothing I can do about it. So I go up and they want you there a little early for some press pictures with Mariano, et cetera, et cetera. So we get up there. It's a gorgeous place. You know, I think think they charge like a quarter of a million dollars for initiation and 100,000 a year membership, something like that. Yeah. And I'm there. An obscene number, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm and it's a gorgeous place. And I'm up there. And, uh, you know, Mariano comes in and we're, you know, doing whatever we did. Yeah. And then he says, you, you got to, you know, I want to introduce you to Donald. So Jeannie and I walk over and Donald is a big guy. And he looks at me like, you know, I'm nothing. And then looks at my wife like, who is she? Like she's something, yes. And, and, and she like, is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like standing there looking at him, looking at my wife and like, you know, I can almost I can almost see the drool on his mouth. Oh my God. And and uh, he said something very nice to her. And then he said, I'll catch up with you later to me and walked away. Our friend Roger Nygaard is a, a renaissance person with deep interests all over the place. By day, he's an editor. He's worked a lot on Curb Your Enthusiasm. By night, he's a documentary filmmaker whose documentaries have plunged into subjects as deep and compelling as the nature of existence and the truth about marriage. In addition to Trekkies, Roger's masterpiece about fans. How long did the Trekkies project take to finally get from when you started to when you finally... Okay, there's there's the cut, I'm done. Trekkies was was like an exoset r- rocket. It was nine months from f- shooting our first footage wow. to, to a final cut. It went so fast because the footage was so rich. We had a movie very quickly, as you could imagine. We, you, know, you go to a convention, we could film anybody, and they were all so colorful that we quickly had a, had a movie of some kind, a deeply flawed movie because it does not have that consistent narrative arc that a documentary is supposed to have. Yeah. Nevertheless, it held attention apparently for 90 minutes. And 
if, even though our film is so flawed everyone copied those flaws going forward because it became the paradigm for success for fan documentaries because it was yeah. so successful financially and critically and you know it bought my house it, it was a huge success um even though it had all these flaws film if, can succeed even though it doesn't follow the rules if you were to go back in and all right knowing what you know now having you know, having the experience you know now if you were to go back and, and remake trekkies how would you refocus it it should be like denise crosby goes on a journey with a, a quest or a goal or finding two or three or four specific star trek fans and watching them live out their day or go or, or whatever it is they're do, going to a convention or setting up a convention something goal-oriented that they need to succeed at that's very challenging that's the proper way to do it but it wouldn't have been trekkies it wouldn't have been what it is and it, it's really i think it's charmed in it in in the unusual quality of what it is and because we were so naive about what we were doing the fans they're they really are remarkable i i i just uh, six months ago i i'd never been to a a, a horror convention at all ever uh and uh, I I went to one with with Jason Stein, who is one of the executive producers of our podcast. He's one of the dads from the Crypt, and I found the experience enlightening. the 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 crowd of people it was a smaller one. It, you know, it was basically people sitting at tables and lots and lots of people selling merch, all kinds of uh, merch, and lots and lots of people dressed up cosplay there was the thing that just blew my mind was a she couldn't have been more than five and she was she had a, a, a custom-made leather face costume right down to a a, a size appropriate size appropriate uh, uh, uh chainsaw and, and you know and and her her mom had obviously worked very hard on this costume and and here's the weird thing about horror conventions nobody ever does cosplay or dresses up as any of the victims everybody dresses <laughs> up as the monster right yeah and, the villains we love yeah. the villain good villain yeah yeah it, it's the, yeah everyone people are, are are not usually there to sign autographs of, of people who died in the movies yeah some people have died but it's not it's not uh, it's really it's the monsters they love the monsters because the monsters are empowered. And I, I think what I found, which was su surprising and, and enlightening, and I was thrilled to see it, for them, that whole fan experience is empowering. It's also a monster is a side of ourselves that we all have that that gets loose. And you can let it loose at the convention and it's safe. Why am I here and what is my purpose? Am I supposed to start a family? Fight for some cause? What is the point of everything? Everything created is one thought in the life of God. Boom, boom! And then that developed into, you know, human beings at McDonald's. Man's purpose is to chase women. I think we exist because God created us because he was lonely. The reason we're here on this planet is to eat good barbecue. What is religion for most people, really? It's a social, it's a way to socialize. It's a social experience. Whether you're going to church or temple or, or uh whatever that you're going there to talk to people to meet your friends and listen okay we got to listen to the talk and then it'll be over then i can talk to my friends and conventions are the same 
aspect of we are social beings and we need to to socialize and be around people and interact with people and it gives people a chance to go and interact with others and sometimes in a way that they feel is more genuine to who they actually are i went to i was profiling renaissance uh, people you know renaissance fair people in in one i did a a pilot for a tv series based on ren fairs and they said that the people who went to ren fairs said I am myself at the Ren Fair. I'm not myself at the office in my my everyday life. In 2022, Gil and I sponsored a fundraiser for the Motion Picture Home, wherein we did a table read of the unproduced Tales from the Crypt movie, Dead Easy. It was the movie we were supposed to make instead of Bordello of Blood. One of the actors we cast and worked with was Chelsea Rebecca. She and her husband, James Janice, created and run the Dead Meat website and YouTube channel. You were fantastic, by the way. Thank you so much. That was so cool. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I initially said yes. I was like, okay, this is a neat thing for charity. Yeah, totally. And then uh, I started learning like who was all going to be involved. And it just was like, what did I <laughs> stumble into? myself into, right. <laughs> I, must, I must tell you the thing that I love the most about the entire read were your, your were your different voices. I said Thank this you. to Helen afterwards. I said, "Wow, that was great!" I just. I- she really brought it alive. You, I mean, you have a fan. Awesome. You have a fan. Jolly. You oh, have thank you fan. so much. Dead easy. I think it'll sell. I wish I could help you, Mr. DeRue, but I'm afraid we don't have any record of a Michael DeRue being here at the time you're asking about. Hey, Dad. I did. I'm not supposed to talk to you about him. We'll do a deeper dive into you after we bring Jason. I don't want to leave him in the waiting room. Sure. Uh, then we'll, we'll we'll get your 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 reactions to it. But we just wanted to tell you while we had you that we we both thoroughly enjoyed what you did. And uh... oh, thank you so much. I was so like you know, I, like I definitely practice. I was like, I want them all to sound. Cause it's hard because it's not animated, right? It's like this is a right. table read of something that feasible it would be live action but it was like all right i still want to do voices it was an interesting exercise honestly i know that you said on on one of your one of your podcasts uh chelsea you said um we need people to be offended by horror movies <laughs> yeah, part of the fun of, of horror is that people get concerned that it's destroying the moral fabric of the nation oh i'm <laughs> curious what episode that was from. I, I, well I, <laughs> I, I and I first of all I I love I love that yeah <laughs> I, I love how you think <laughs> uh, all right so my question is all right uh what what's the ultimate horror movie that 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 steps you know that rubs it in people's noses oh well, I think like every generation has one like the yeah. Exorcist in the seventies maybe like Frankenstein in the thirties or forties and then like. Mm-hmm. But, but Rosemary's but, but Baby that, in the sixties. But those didn't. I mean, Universal Pictures never offended anyone's sensibilities. There was a Hayes Code that made sure no such thing was going to happen. I think some of those were pre-code. I know at least. Um, I'm trying to think if it was Frankenstein or there. There was something about uh, the depiction of like the dead in those movies where that was the first time. It's, it's weird t- to think about, but some people had never seen, you know, something so like just. Uh, what, what, what year did Todd Browning make Freaks? Did anybody um, oh, that was, 
Was that in the 40s? I thought that's, that was earlier. I was early. It's early, I think. But that's a good example of like a movie that really even the studio was like, we can't have okay. our, these actors eating with our other actors because yeah. it offends them. You know, that was that was 1932. Yeah. And when when was the code? Officially, we keep googling. I'm gonna ask you guys. I know. I'm like, oh, I should know that. That was like the fifth, no, late 40s, maybe. Um, it was Hayes Code started in 34. Oh, okay, earlier than that. That's when Will Hayes came to. But um, or Psycho is a good one that really offended a lot of people. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, think about this for a second. Just think about this for a second. Bill Gaines and his dad were were brought down down to Washington D.C. to testify in front of the. Uh, an American committee because mm -hmm. of their comic books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and their comic books, when you look at their comic books as comic books, they were m little moral tales. And if you read the first panel, you knew the entire story. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was laid out to you. And yet they were brought out on the carpet and pulled down to testify in front of the un-American committee. And that was in the 50s. Mm -hmm. That's really how far we've come, if we've come at all. <clears throat> from 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 that kind of an attitude and that kind of an approach. I mean, today Let's, parents, you know, encourage kids to watch horror movies and, and enjoy them themselves. You know, oh. I'm amazed sometimes hmm. when we we sometimes meet people and they and we're talking about horror and they they bring their kids in to have a conversation with them because the kids are much more aware of what's yeah. horror today and what they like and what they don't like. You do cosplay too. Yes. Oh my gosh. I had no idea you would have known I did like cosplay and stuff. Yeah. I haven't done it in a while. Um, because it's it's time consuming and, and also conventions kind of, you know, we weren't doing them for a few years because of COVID. Of so course. I think that really like is when I stopped. Um, but you miss it? I miss it. Yeah. I would like to start making costumes and stuff again. It's just, you know, it's a lot of it, it's time consuming, especially the stuff I like to make, which is a lot of like hand embroidery and just like little, you know, fidgety detail type things. Uh, lots of like Game of Thrones is like the costumes on that show are beautiful. And I've done a lot of Game of Thrones cosplay and it's all just this tiny hand embroidery. And it's like this incredible craft, but it takes forever. <laughs> You've been podcasting and uh, doing your your YouTube uh, uh, dead meat since what twenty sixteen twenty yes so James started the the like the kill count on dead meat and that would have been 2016, 2016. 2017. and then okay. I started doing the podcast in twenty seventeen you have six million subscribers <laughs> yeah we don't know how that happened. <laughs> That is when I when I saw that number today, I I I, I had to look at it several times. I think I, that's an M for million, right? That's M for yeah. million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how have you? How this is a this is a terrific accomplishment. How how have you? Well, all right, to a degree, well, I know how you've done it. You 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 put on a really good good show. You it's 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 really enjoyable. You're you're very good at it. Thank well, you. Let me let me jump in because I remember when the first start the show first started and you were doing the Friday thirteenth kill counts. Mm -hmm. and there was an article about it on Bloody Disgusting. And I think that's kind of what at least started the the flood because that's what I remember, you know, like a good horror fan. I had that on my RSS feed and I saw that. I'm like, oh, okay, let me go check this out. And I was instantly hooked. And you know, especially when you're doing your videos on Fridays and I was working from home on Fridays. So I was like my Friday ritual was um, you know, my wife, my kids, I left the house for the day. I can make a cup of coffee, sit down and watch my kill count for the for the morning as I got ready for work. 
Yeah, it was just truly kind of amazing time. And yeah, Bloody Disgusting helped a lot. Um, they were so kind and like, you know, writing and, you know, doing a write up about the kill counts when it first started. And the channel was like, you know, it was small. But what happened was that Friday the 13th video game came out around the exact same time James started doing kill counts of the Friday the 13th movies. It, he didn't time it on purpose like that. It just was like this beautiful coincidence and people looking for clips from the, that new game were finding James's videos. And it just, that I think kickstarted the, or I think it was like pushing it into people's algorithms and feeds. And it was just like this, you know, so yes, we, we've worked hard on it, but also we got, really really lucky and found this weird little niche that i think people were looking for something there well i also think that people recognize the 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 production value in it like you weren't just it wasn't just a guy in front of his like dvd or something that you actually had <laughs> sure. like the sets and everything and you know you're you're the effort you guys are putting into it and the writing and everything really really stood out amongst other things thank you <laughs> we're, we're really lucky <laughs> Well, luck luck is important, but but you also you got a skill set. You got, you know, you you you're delivering great content because you're capable of it. Yeah, well, thank you. Not everybody is, <laughs> as we know. What do you want to do from here? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we we're producing a movie right now. Um, it's uh, I mean, I I haven't like produced anything before aside from like you know little thing nothing like this where it's like we're trying to get funding we're trying to get it it's the whole um I've never been in like this kind of position on a film and so that's interesting we're trying to you know take dead meat from just YouTube to like you know we we kind of talk the talk we talk about horror movies I yeah. feel like we we want to try our hand at making one there's a script that a friend wrote that I absolutely adore that i i believe in so so much and we we actually filmed the um we filmed the proof of concept we filmed the first five minutes of it uh last month and so that's on our youtube channel um so that won't be like what the actual movie is but this was like here's kind of like the tone what it would maybe look like you get a sense of the story um so that's where we're uh at with it right now Working with Chelsea and James, Gil and I, well, we saw the potential for incredible synergy. Are You Afraid is the product of that synergy. Like I said, we truly believe Are You Afraid is the next Walking Dead, but with an even cooler monster. Gil and I will be taking Are You Afraid out into the marketplace in the first quarter of 2024. We're really excited about it. Here are a few videos from the show's website to perhaps whet your appetite, pun intended. Flesh-eating ghouls must consume human flesh in order to survive. But what makes human flesh palatable, if not downright tasty, is when it's flavored by human fear. In particular, the human fear of being eaten by a flesh-eating ghoul. True fact, any human can ghoulify and become a flesh-eating ghoul, provided they can overcome their fear of flesh-eating ghouls. All flesh-eating ghouls start as human. But whereas most humans succumb to their fear, flesh-eating ghouls don't. 
they overcome their fear. That's what turns them into flesh-eating ghouls. When a flesh-eating ghoul says something's good to the last drop, they aren't talking about a cup of coffee. Flesh-eating ghouls must consume human flesh in order to survive. But what makes human flesh palatable, if not downright tasty, is when it's flavored by human fear. In particular, the human fear of being eaten by a flesh-eating ghoul. When a flesh-eating ghoul asks a human, Are you afraid? It's usually the last thing the human will ever hear. Fact. Some of the most famous people you know aren't actually people. They're flesh-eating ghouls. Hey, see you next time, everybody. And don't forget to check out Are You Afraid? The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrible Crypt Company.